Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Keynote. Yes, It's almost sir. dinner time, Monday, April 6th. We're in a hard-working day here. I know. Taking advantage of people willing to talk to us. Been uh, This will be a record for us four, I think, today. Yeah. So coming up right now, Roby Gangley. Yeah, I'm probably butchering his last name, but... Uh, Roby's in our first portfolio. We've always been focused on customer support software. We think that's been, just been a theme of ours over the years, 10, 12 years since Twitter and YouTube were birthed and people could do e-commerce. And so Roby runs a large enterprise now. Uh, he'll catch us up on the company, but we're going to talk about what it's like running a larger company through this uh, virus or large growth company and uh, dealing with, he's right there dealing with large enterprises and their customer support issues mm-hmm. and customer love. And he's definitely a great CEO. He's in, and he's in Seattle. So uh, we'll get a different take of the world. And um, so let's get him on the phone. But first I'll do, I think Koi Fent. We've got all our portfolio companies hitting me up, but only the ones that are writing good ads for me. I'm, I'm, I'm pimping. Um, so let's do Koi Fen. Uh It's one of our portfolio companies. If you want to track and analyze what's happening in the current market turmoil, Coifin is a product you need to have. It's a web-based platform that lets you analyze stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, and other assets all in one place. Just enter your portfolio, share lists. I've been using it every day, obviously talking about it. It's open right now. That's how I look at the markets. Has a ton of high quality data, powerful functionality, and a clean interface. Best part is it's free. You can sign up at uh, www.coifin.com. That's K O Y F I N.com. Let's get Roby on the phone. Hey, hey. So much energy on a Monday. I love it. Not really. I just popped another Adderall just to get through this. Not that I don't want to talk to you. I'm fucking exhausted. You know, you know what's hard? You know what's harder than running a big company? Doing four podcasts. I'm not a professional at this. I have no stamina. You know me. Oh, come on. You, you got a studio and microphone set up. That's professional these days. Yeah, Canute. That's all Canute. Where are you today? At home in my office slash my wife's art studio, which has been my home for the last six weeks. Fuck, you're six weeks? Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure I got it. Like, I got six, six, six weeks ago. I had a fever. I had shortness of breath. I had the cough. Uh, all of it. The fever broke after a couple of days. And, um, you know, back then, it wasn't as scary as back it is then, now. Back then, if you had but, sent somebody, they would have said, fuck off, Mr. COVID well, fanboy. They would have blamed you for being a bohemian <laughs> from Brooklyn. Yeah, here in Seattle, nobody thought it was a hoax. You're a hero now. Not, You're uh, a hero. <laughs> you quarantined yourself. I did. That's true. Yeah. I, did. I would have run to a few enemies' homes right away and just peed on their front <laughs> door. I'm waiting to hear that I have COVID. I got some people that get COVIDed up. The, uh, it's the best revenge medicine you've ever heard of. Oh, are you kidding? I just put something in their mailbox that says COVID was here. Just lick their I, mailbox. I mean, once you have COVID, I mean, the world is yours. No, I mean, I'm not. I'm joking around, of course. The uh, But you quarantined yourself. 
Yeah, totally. Seattle was, was early outbreak, right? Washington State. Yeah, and I think what we're seeing now right, is that it was early observation. It's not necessarily that she it was did a great job. Earlier. That mayor was early and just like forceful. Yeah, Durkin did, and then the governor did, um, and really, it's the UW UW Medical Center was uh, uh, the group that was early testing samples from this thing we have called the Seattle Flu Study, and they huh. found in Snohomish, you know, a case of COVID and they were not supposed to be doing it, but they did it anyway. And that's, that's sort of how we started to figure out some of the stuff that was happening was related to it. And then when that, uh, you know, nursing home, like, you know, 30 plus that. people got sick, yeah. they, they had some of the testing. So yeah, I feel like we got lucky in terms of early observation. Um, and then I got lucky in terms of just deciding to stay home. And, and as it got worse, I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm glad I stayed home. So you're past it, you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the sad part of it was that uh, by the time I was able to get tested, which was two weeks after I had symptoms, I had no symptoms. And they said, well, we're not going to waste a test on you. So I won't know until like there's a serological test. Until there's a blood test that says you had it or not. Yeah, that's right. And so, and how is Seattle right now? Shut down still? Yeah, it's quiet. It's, I mean... Uh, we have a lot of people here who complain about traffic and, and frankly going east to west during rush hour in the city is, is a real pain in the ass normally. Now you can breeze anywhere in 10 to 15 minutes. I know, I There's, it. It's just empty. Empty. and But you're killing it quickly there. I, it looks like it. It looks like we have definitely done the social distancing measures. People are staying home. I mean, the all of the grocery stores for weeks have been really good at keeping a max of like 50 people in the store, you know, and, and all those things seem to be taking effect. Uh, and you know, Seattleites like the joke about uh, the Seattle freeze where we, uh, we're cordial, but we don't necessarily get close to people. And, and now they're joking that that's actually a good thing. So. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so how big's the company? So now let's give, uh, anyways, I never do this right. Cause I'm not a professional. <laughs> people don't know who the fuck I'm talking to. All right. So give, let's give uh, people a little background on you and the company. Yeah, uh, so I'm Roby Gunguli, co-founder, CEO of a company called Aptentive. Aptentive is a nine-year-old company here in Seattle that celebrated its nine-year anniversary actually just in the midst of lockdown on the March 9th. And um, what we do is we help really large consumer brands listen to their customers. And we do that on the web and in their mobile apps uh, and increasingly other digital channels. But we really started out in mobile apps nine years ago saying this is the future of where consumers are going to be. And so as a company, it has to be the future of where you're listening to customers and then really determining sentiment. And, uh, you know, at a time like this, it turns out that uh, customers of ours like Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks and Kohl's and JCPenney and The Economist and CNN and Phillips are all trying to figure out how to deal with a changing landscape and listening to customers on their mobile devices, which they're using on their couches is really, really important. Yeah, really. And so when you start, so when you started the company though, you started in 13 or 14? Well, 11 was when we started. Wow. So, and, we've been in, uh, so when did we invest? 13? It was 11? Yeah, end of 12. End of 12. We came out of Techstars and you guys got in. Uh, it was like right around Thanksgiving of 2012. And it wasn't like an overnight success. I mean, you've grinded it. You've been through the grind. Now, it might have been a bull market the whole way until very recently, which we'll talk about, but you were just a grinder. We've been doing this for about nine years. And, yep. um, you know, re- really at the beginning, 
it was it was early right? when we were talking to people about customer service and customer care and getting more proactive and talking to people on their mobile devices. Most people were telling us, oh, well, it's all going to be chatbots and it's going to be automated and nobody wants to Even back to then, people. that's what people were saying? Oh, my gosh. In oh, 2011, yeah. you know, a lot of people told us that the future of CS was a whole bunch of autom- automation and AI, oh. right? And that... Uh, you're gonna you're gonna see a lot more people uh, fired than talking to customers, and we said, yeah, you could believe that, but that's never been true in the history of business. Um, and even so, and we're seeing even why today. Yeah, right. And, I right. Mean, I mean, people people are offended if they get a bot thing back today. Like, I want to do business <laughs> with people that pick up the phone. Right. And so how? And so um, and then today, you're you know uh, how many is how many people did you say? 65 people around the it, world. It's around the world. And where's most of the people? Seattle? Seattle's headquarters. So the the majority of people are here. We have five people across the United States, and we have a team that we've built in uh, the Ukraine, actually. So about 13 people there. And so how is not traveling and running a work from home now six weeks in? It's really weird. Um, you know, your, your rhythm of what you do on a regular basis when you have to travel to see clients and go to shows, uh, you get sort of used to it. And I've been in that for probably three plus years. of just like somewhere That's between 60 and 100,000 yeah. miles every year. And the just change your momentum and activities and the amount of times I pack my bag is it's kind of odd. And so now you got to build a sales product that can do zoom or how are you guys doing? I mean, it's different. It's a whole different process. So like walk people through maybe how that, how you've thought through that. Cause it's not like a low cost product. I mean, you, you have a real product. Yeah. 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 That's right. Our core customers are large consumer brands and our core relationships are multiple years in length and, you know, six figures and above. So in the early days, when we were selling to a much broader variety of companies, we could do a lot of our sales just over the phone and, and over. Back then, we were using WebEx, and then we switched to Zoom. If you remember, I was I was early at WebEx back in the early 2000s. So I sort of knew the market, and we switched to Zoom because of the video. And um, one of our sales guys, Red, he's, he's been with us since the early days, and mm-hmm. he's really like a team member. He figured out how to get good on Zoom and on um conference calls and over video a long time ago. And he's, he's trained a lot of the team to do that. Mm-hmm. So we feel like we're in a good position relative to others in the sense that, you know, when you're meeting with people and trying to create a, a, a really long-term six-figure relationship, most of what you're working through is a sense of, can I provide value and can they trust me? Mm-hmm. And the trust is kind of the, the in-person hack. When you see people in person, you shake their hands, maybe you share a beverage or a meal. There's a lot more trust that can be conveyed. Creating mm-hmm. trust completely virtually is a little bit harder, but we've figured some of the ways out to do it. And, and it's on and both sides now. I mean, both sides now have to give because yeah, if, if you need to true. improve your company and you can't go to conferences, you also have to learn how to read trust. That's right. That's right. So, you know, one of the things that we figured out a long while ago is that if you are actually working from home, don't try to hide it, admit it. Right. And if you're working from home, you might have an asset around like, here's my wife's art studio. You want to look at the art on the the wall behind me? Or do you want to meet my kid who's here, who I'm watching at the same time that I'm working? Interesting. If you start to use it as an asset, you can connect with people. So our our team actually has um, quite a bit of comfort with that. 
And it's fun to see customers respond to that and be like, oh, here, let me let me introduce you to my kid and let's talk about that. And and then trust can come back. Good, good point. So enterprise, yeah, this because I know you're good at sales. So in, in your sales mission, even though you're a product guy yourself personally, you've had to learn how to become a biz leader and because enterprise is ruthless. Yeah. Ru- yeah I don't yeah, think yeah. people understand, oh, I'm going to go sell in the enterprise. How fucking ruthless is that? You've been at this nine years and you were at WebEx before. You know how ruthless this is. It's, uh, they, they use the phrase hand-to-hand combat and it's like, you definitely have to meet everybody who needs to make the decision once, once you start getting to a certain level of the enterprise and it's no longer just, uh, oh, just check this box and fill out this form and sign in with your email address. It's like, okay, am I going to get my people to change their direction? Are we going to implement your software and then listen to customers, like actually listen to them? And so actually sometimes we show listen. up. Like, yeah. Yeah, we show up at your doorstep and we tell you you're not doing a good job. And you have to actually believe that first just to buy our software. And so in the era of this panic, because you've never led through a panic or, or a startup, because 11 was still good time. I'm beginning at good times. And yeah, although I had the, uh, the, the really good sense to leave my um, cushy job at Yahoo in 2008 in order to go start something. So... I managed to pick awesome time to leave and not necessarily have something to jump to just, just my savings. That was, that was fun. And what are you seeing from the big brand? I mean, now that we're, let's assume we come out of this This is now like, let's talk future. What, what do yeah. you see? Cause they're all slashing budgets. Cause you know, robot, you know, one guy kicks the other guy down. Like everybody's kicking the can and cutting, you know, cause the revenue numbers are lower. So even for the best product, you've got, customers who are panicked. So how are you dealing with that? Oh man. How do you deal with people who are panicked in the first place? I yeah. think you can't, but how are you, but obviously you've got high stakes customers when you're, you're not dealing with as many because they're higher tickets. So you can't, you can't force them to do anything, but you've got to walk a few off the ledge and keep their budget. So is there any tricks that you've yeah. sought? Well, we've done a couple things I'll tell you about. I'm curious what you're, you're doing or seeing, but we, a few weeks ago, we're getting similar questions and it happened basically over the course of seven days, something like 15 of our customers paying and they're retailers. And they all said similar things. How should I communicate? How much we have stuff to say, but it feels awkward. What can we do to help? And there are more people using our apps and websites than ever before. So it feels like we should do something. So they are all saying sort of this similar set of things. And we just set up three live conversations sent it out to a lot of our customers and said, we're going to have three different 45 minute spots just for our customers to talk about this. And we're going to do some pairing of you with people in your vertical. It's going to be safe space to talk about it and um, come be part of the conversation. And so we had 25 different companies join over the course of three days and we set up some rules and said, you know, we're going to be pretty honest. And so as a result, you cannot use this information outside of this in an attributable manner. So that made people feel at ease. And really quickly, we just asked them, what's going on for your business? How are you dealing with it internally? So taking care of employees and how are you dealing with it externally, taking care of customers? And man, you know, that just was like opening the floodgates of people conversing, talking about, well, we've got uh, changing operating hours or we've changed stores, but we're reducing fees on online delivery in order to do this. And we want to communicate that sensitively. And here's what's challenging. Or we had a big product launch and it feels weird to launch it. But man, we've been working on this for 12 months. How do we do that in a seamless way? And 
we just sort of saw customers talking to each other more than to us. And we facilitated it. And then we took notes and we, we actually released a product feature a week later that helped with some of the questions people were trying to answer. Um, I mean, it's kind of nuts to think about that, but that was like three weeks ago, right? So um, we've been moving really fast. And what do you think of post-COVID world? Do you just double down on on new methods or roll back out face to like? I mean, the question is: Is this something that could be leveraged? In or does it come back yeah. full on conferences? Have you thought through that stuff yet? Like, I'm starting to think through yeah. that for some of our enterprise companies, what it looks like. Well, so I'm of the opinion that the world's changed forever. Like, I'm I, I think as a company, we're trying to really listen and pay attention, even if it's. But, relatively a hoax like i'm not saying it is a hoax meaning like say you know they spin this in three months saying i can't believe we fucking fell for the media scam you know how they're going to sell it and like fuck china and this was all a plant and let's assume that this mantra still goes on and you know fifty thousand americans died but that's less than the flu we're not going to fall for this again yada 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 get on a plane like george bush go to the malls fucking help america you still think it's changed I think it has. And okay. here's, here's, here's why, right? Like, I think that um, we've been hearing about digital transformation for a decade. And I know you talked to cats last week and talking about sort of the modernization of the enterprise and connecting data and dots. Well, there are a lot of companies right now that the only thing they can really actually proactively work on is that accelerating that plan. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of companies, especially retailers are accelerating their digital transformation. How do we offer goods, services and service to customers through digital channels. So they're doing that. And at the same time that they're doing that, a lot of customers are really finding that they can survive on digital products, right? So it's not the, oh, I'm getting an Instacart because I don't have time to go to the store you know, for the birthday this weekend. And that was the last time I used Instacart nine months ago. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm using it every week. I'm using the Safeway app every week. I'm getting mm-hmm. comfortable with all of these different tools and services that are not just Amazon, right? Like Amazon's won that mind share, but it's not just them anymore. Sure. There's some things that they haven't done, be able to deliver groceries on time. So they, they can't do everything. We're seeing that. Right. Right. So I think that parts it's out of the back, right? Like I think that we've already seen the change happen. It's occurring right now. People's habits are changing and they won't necessarily all change back. In fact, I would imagine a large percentage won't. And then a bunch of the things that are uniquely in-person valuable are going to be the last things we go back to. So going to a concert or a sporting event where there are lots of people, that's the last shit we're going to go back to. Especially right? old people. Like it just doesn't, it never appealed to me the last five years. I hated all the fucking assets <laughs> and the owners and it's good. TVs are so good anyways. And I learned how to make some food this time around through this virus. So like, why would I go? You know? Oh, what are you making? What kind of food are you making? Popcorn and candy. Same as always in cereal. I mean, I guess that's not really making. And I ordered it. Fuck it. I don't know anything. I, by the way, I'm going to make popcorn live tonight. Rachel's going to film me because I am the best popcorn maker. But you're right. I can't make bread or anything. I, okay, you caught I me in a lie. But I you know watch. what I mean. I'm not going to events. It's bullshit. I would watch great popcorn making, to be honest. That's popcorn what I'm saying. is a wonderful food. Wonder, underappreciated food. The, so I hear what you're saying. So can you get away with full on, that's our pitch. You know, we're, we're super bullish on face-to-face contact, but you, we've been through the virus. We know how to, how to please you up the channel. Let's all save money. We'll pass those savings on to you. No events, uh, just great product, just great customer support. You can talk to the CEO, even though we're a large company. Is that a possibility? 
Could someone pull that I off? I think it is. I, th- I think it's possible. I don't think that it's going to go away entirely. But if you think about it, one of the ways in which in-person travel has been successful is it's kind of a differentiator, right? Like the companies that show up in my uh, office on a regular basis that have the T&E budget to spend to send somebody here that have expensive enough reps that they have 10 accounts and they can see all 10 of those accounts like six, six times a year. That's sort of a differentiator. Well, if you flip it and it becomes kind of rude to show up in person, like, oh, you're going to you're going to come and you're going to make us get together in person. And actually, like half of our team is now working from home more consistently. So it's more of a hassle to meet in person. But we're going to do it because you're making the trip out. What does that do? Does it shift the power to people who are better at being elegant at those virtual meetings and those conversations? I think that there's there's some of that that is probably really the opportunity is to be much more elegant at it. So that at a, a drop of a hat, if you need to go see somebody in person, if that's what's necessary, because you're going to have the, you got to have the, you got to have the jujitsu skills. Like there's nothing yeah. better than the skills that I have, but I'm going to be very much more careful at my age about how I deploy those skills. I mean, I, right. I get to use Corona as an excuse. Like I'm at the age where I'm like Seinfeld. I'm using it as an excuse, not, Uh, I I paid my dues. I mean, I love you. I'd like to see you, but I I saw you for 10 years at meetings. Now I get to do this. Right. Right. Exactly. So I think it'll be really hard for young people who never learn those skills. And it's going to be harder to learn those skills because travel is going to be harder. Uh, You know, it's just not going to be as fun for a while for, for networking. But are you are you sure that it's going to be harder for them? I mean, they're also the Instagram live, TikTok generation, know how to catch your attention and figure out how to like tell your story. Oh, they can do seconds. all that part. My son's a, my daughter's a, a whiz, but I'm saying they're never they're not going to learn the face to face, and that's still going to be a part of business. Yeah, because I guess there's that dance, right? The conversation back and forth. Got to play all the got to play all the oldies. It's like my son, my daughter only knows one thing: bad music. Whereas my son can go from, what are you listening to? To uh, he's, he's cool. Like my son has the whole play. And I think to do sales, this generation, the old, the 40 year old that's will, willing to work hard, that's put in the time in the network can go really be a sales killer now because they can do it all. Yeah. I think you got to have the whole repertoire. That, you got to have that repertoire. You got to also be more than ever before and it's always been true i think in sales to some extent but more than ever before i think you have to be an entertainer you have to be a manager of attention and so you have to think if you're given a you know zoom presentation to six executives in three different offices about how to entertain them keep them captivated and even light them up you know tell stories you did stand up right yeah i mean it's always helped me that i I mean, I always overdo it occasionally. I mean, not always over that. That that doesn't make sense. I generally, when I make a mistake, I've overdone it. I just went too, Mm -hmm. too irreverent, too fast, but I'll always lead with it because it works 90% of the time. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) I just make fun of myself. Like the number one tip I tell people is like, don't take yourself seriously. You got to be able to make fun of yourself. And that always works. You know, Yeah. yeah, it's hard for people to really be mad at you as a salesperson if you're ripping on yourself. And then the only time I get it wrong is when I'm too hard on myself in front of people and people go, well, you know, is he an idiot? So sometimes you can go too far on that. But I think, you know, sales is still the number one skill. Like, you know, it's a language. It's like, like you said, it's art, entertainment, attention. And in, in the world that we live in, and those who can manage it the best are going to kill it. Yeah. And I think there's, um, there's, there's a really interesting thing happening right now, 
right? So like I talk with my sales team about this. Right now, really good sales teams that are historically super aggressive are trying to figure out the balance of how to dial back that aggression mm. in a time where aggression feels it's like good not, point. not not just rude, but it feels so out of touch. Like so out of touch. Touching. And only a month ago, right? I was like I was getting these robot fucking emails from enterprise company and it was not offensive. It was offensive, not because of COVID. It was always offensive to me. And it was just like, Oh fuck, delete spam, even from yep. good companies. And now if I get one, it's so tasteless. Yeah. You're like, have you not woken up to the reality over the last four weeks? What are you trying to do? So I get what you're saying. The world, I mean, I just totally see it too. The world has changed. You know, markets changed, trends have changed. Other things that were going full steam came to a halt, like a fucking speeding halt. Um, And it's not going to be easy even for software. You know, everybody says, oh, software is eating the world. It's easy to fall back on that. But um, it's starting to make me think like, okay, the next virus is coming for software. And I mean, like, what would happen if Amazon was down? Like, you know, it's easy for me to say, to tell my partners that, oh man, I don't know if we're lucky or good, but like being a software investor is not as bad as being a restaurant investor. But, you know, chaos will find a way. Like, you know, I can't imagine my world if Amazon and Azure, AWS and Azure were down. Like, I think my portfolio would be zero. zero. Mm Mm-hmm, right. Right. What couldn't you live without? Cascading impacts. What couldn't you live with, without as a company? What's the one where you just couldn't do business? I mean, AWS for for us is a really big piece of infrastructure. Right. So that's crazy. Yeah. And I think that email actually has become more, not less important. And the reason is that um, asynchronous but long form communication from me to the team with updates about how we're doing have become the lifeblood for a lot of people, just in terms of like, I trust that the company will tell us how we're doing. Yeah. I trust that they're not going to tell us every day. Right. And so email actually ends up Good point. now being even more valuable. And it's the new face of a leader, meaning you got to be careful how much you send, but when you send it, it has to be well-written and thought through and not panicked. And as a leader, good point. You can't just yeah. fucking do yeah. zoom. You hundred person company do zoom every day from that fearless leader. That won't work. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't scale. And it's, I mean, it's just not even a thoughtful way to lead people through something that it is a, a crisis. I, I tend to think like, you know, the worst phrases in a, in a place where people might panic is to say, don't panic. Cause everybody's like, Oh, should I be panicking? What, yeah. what, the hell? what I tell people is, well, that's normal. But like, you know, <laughs> let's, let's, here's the, you're, you're normal. Like mm-hmm. If you're not going to panic, that's what this show's about. It's like, let's, so what was the first time you panicked for like with money or something? Do you remember? For or, me? Or an investment or you just never care. You never put yourself in that spot. Oh no, I totally have. I mean, so like I, I was alluding to, I I left Yahoo in two thousand eight. I had worked for Deutsche Bank. You learned, oh, you no. worked for Deutsche Bank. So I worked for Deutsche Bank as an MI banker. That's where I started my career after college, doing M and A. Two thousand one, mm-hmm. bottom falls out. They lay off two thirds of my class. Right, I'm like, oh man, that's scary. That's that's tumultuous. It's really weird, but somehow I make it through that, feeling moderately okay go to WebEx, then I go to Yahoo and I've saved up enough money because WebEx got bought and I owned a bunch of stock that it was time for me to leave. I'd been planning for 10 years. It was time for me to go start something. And uh, I leave in 2008 and then the market crashes, right? And we go through this whole compression and everything that happens seems like as bad as it possibly could be. And I'm sitting there with my like small amount of money that just keeps getting smaller and smaller. And I'm like, 
is my whole plan just ridiculous in this, this environment? Should I go back and get a job, try to find mm. steady income? Because sure. I gave myself essentially three years to figure out a business with people I cared about. Um, and, you know, six months into it, I'm like, maybe that's a really dumb idea. Mm. So, and then what about this seeing panic around you? What's like the thing that's helped you lead the team? Facts on the ground. You know, the, the, the biggest thing that I focus everybody on is like what we are in the job of doing is gathering information and taking action. Like that's, that's really what we're supposed to do. Whether you're trading the market, or you're running a business, like gather information, take action. And so there are three key areas of information that we have to obsess about now. We care about them all the time, but now we're obsessed. We care about what's going on with creating new pipeline. We care about what's going on in the funnel, things that are supposed to be actually moving forward what's going on and what can we learn there. And then we care about customers of ours who are at risk because their businesses might be challenged or their budgets are challenged, whatever it is that are at risk. If we know our churn, our pipeline and our sales funnel every week, every month, and we really focus on the facts there, then we can make choices. Um, but if we sit and hypothesize, then we don't have facts. So like, let's just get obsessive about those facts. And you're, you're lean. Like, I mean, I talked to Mike and he's raised a hundred million and you're, a little smaller than him, but you've done it on less than 10 or how much have you raised? We've got 18 total in the business. 18 total. Got it. But the last raise was a while ago. Yeah. 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 yeah we are. I mean, it's an interesting time because we've been operating, you know, relatively leanly and we've been moving towards profitability. And so our plan for this year is to take us there. And, but the one thing I called you, even though I don't need to call you, I called you and said, well, now's a good time to raise money even for companies like you just top off. Yeah because you yeah. have a better story to tell, even if, you know, even if it means just taking it at a friendly investor valuation, just, just to be smart. Something we talked about at right. least. I don't know if it was a wrong yeah, idea, yeah, no, but no. we chatted. No, I think it's, I mean, I think that that is very much the stuff that's on my mind. Yeah. Right? Like as a leader, you got to make really long-term intelligent decisions. And some of these decisions around, if you can raise the capital now, you do it. Why? Because you don't know what's around the next corner um, yep. are always really important. So I think we're thinking about that a lot more actively. Um, I just, I've spent three and a half hours on conference calls and legal calls talking about the uh, PPP. Yeah. Right? We, I've had some companies file, you know, I'm just signing paperwork and, you know, I think, I think what's amazing because I've talked to so many friends on these panic with friends is like, <laughs> You know, I'll give for people that are organized to, to help us out. I'm not saying it's working smoothly, but man, venture community and lawyers really rallied hard around the venture, you know, helping their startups here. I'm not bragging or saying <laughs> yeah. anything. And I don't know if that's good or bad because I feel bad for small businesses, but we, this is why the big will get bigger. But man, the venture community has been dialed in helping founders. Right, right. There's so much information, like the way Silicon Valley, I don't even know if it's good for Silicon Valley Bank. I feel bad for them. They're getting bullied here, but. It's probably great for, if you are going to treat your customers badly right now, you are fucked if, if, and when That's we come out of this, right? Like Silicon Valley Bank's getting a little hose. They're taking extreme risk right now, deferring interest payments, but Jesus, like that's brand. How could you not go back to them in good times? Like they fucking stepped up. The best companies right now are building their brand, oh, right? The God. best companies right now are leaning into the long-term relationship and they're thinking about, we will get through this because we have to. And when we get through on the other side, the people who are going to be remembered are the ones who are there for one another. Like, yeah. That's what the best brands are doing. The best. Like I see Wells Fargo completely out of the fucking loop on this. Not even, you know what I mean? Like I hated them before. Yeah. It's like, I can't even, I, 
I mean, there's such a, it's such a debacle over debacle, right? Even Bank of America is trying, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I haven't heard right. fuck all from Goldman. I haven't heard fuck from Jamie. I mean, he's sick. I haven't heard fuck from Chase. You know what I mean? The big no, financial brands have fucked us. Stripes trying to figure things out. Square, even with Jack trying to get money into people's hands, like taking a, like an actual stand about this as much as I don't like some of these new companies or as the banks, they feel like they're just whining big real estate companies, yeah. whiny bitches. Well, they're managing like they manage everything. It's just risk assessment, right? Yeah. They're like, no, I don't blame them, but they're going to see the lasting effects of this one. This is where people have long memories. Right. So, so I really am glad you're doing well. I don't want to take too much of your time there, but attentive is, I think you've, you've built kind of like a, it's not easy enterprise. And it's like, people assume, Oh, the, you know, I'm watching the enterprise stocks and people are like, Oh, they're bulletproof. No, they're not. And customers cancel just like everybody else. You know, I know that they're canceling because I talked to founders and they're still hard to retain, you know, cause panic is filtered down, but Absolutely. Uh, it's good to get your viewpoint here. So six weeks, man, I'm hoping you, uh, so you did the right thing, but luckily you're, you're feeling good. And, uh, and what about recruiting right now? So how does that last question, how does that, how do people, how are you thinking about recruiting? I think that the best outcome of this, like the thing that is a real silver lining is we've had people in multiple locations, right? Like around the country, around the world, but we haven't been historically as good at recruiting anyone from the hardest part of the job. And now we're doing that. Like we've hired three people in the last six weeks. Uh, and those were processes were, that were in place before that, but they've all joined. Their first day has been, instead of in-person, it's been virtual and we're building new muscles around it. And I think for us, recruiting is going to get more easy from the sense of we can see ourselves onboarding anybody anywhere. We have, we're building those muscles and I think that's great. Awesome. I think so. So that's something that never been a better time to recruit. I mean, Never been a better time to talk to your customers. Never been a better time to build a brand. Never been a better time to recruit. It's painful, but like as a leader and never been a good, better time to learn how to lead because there's some new tricks. I think where you're talking about these emails, they have to be like on point a little bit longer, but way less often. And trust is yeah. going to be pushed down the stack pretty hard. And we got to, we got to make sure we uh, typo check them, right? Like and, you and I got to work on the fat fingering. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, people know that now I'm really trying to stop errors because this is like, I'm trying to be less sloppy, but I'm, people know, the people that know me know, and I'm trying not to be, but I agree, like, you can't be as sloppy right now. Even though everybody's Lulu and work from home, I'm trying to be a little less sloppy. So it's interesting. I'm kind of <laughs> so pivoting the other way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I appreciate the work. Appreciate you taking the time with uh, Panic with Friends. And I think people will learn a lot from this. So thanks, man. Yeah, appreciate it, and stay safe, man. See you. See you soon. Good leader, huh? Wow. Yeah. Well, you're an investor. He is. Yeah, I know. But you he's know, sneaky he's, smart. He is. No, but I mean, he's thinking that you know. He thought this in 2012. He's yeah, just I mean, like he's just a leader. How can we treat our customers better? How can we do this? He's like mm. he's looking at the positive side. I love that. Yeah. And. Good uh, guy. Yeah, a lot of uh, smart people out there. I think I think he has some good points, so I'm excited to listen to that one back and I probably could have asked him 100 more questions, but I'm unorganized. So you get what you get with Panic with Friends. This is all about me in the end. All right, let's eat some dinner, and everybody will see you soon.